This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 356. And the quote of the day is, what defines us is how well we rise after falling. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's happening, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, and this is episode 356 of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. Hope all is well in your world, and if you were at NAM, I hope you had a fantastic time at NAM. And speaking of fantastic, I'm not going to waste any time. I want to get into this conversation because for me, this is a really special conversation for me. I have been listening to Chris Layton play drums with Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble pretty much my whole entire life, and when I had the chance to sit down and chat with him, thank you, Wayne Salzman, by the way. Uh, for connecting us and to be able to sit down and chat with Chris is an amazing thing for me. And he shares a ton of knowledge. We talk about the history of, of Double Trouble, how he got connected with Stevie Ray Vaughan. We talk about shuffles. We talk about, you know, getting up after the fall down after after Stevie passed away. There was there's there's a lot of insight in this conversation and just a lot of great stories and all sorts of stuff. So I want to get out of the way and let that happen. So let's get into it with the one and only, the man, the Texas shuffle man himself, Mr. Chris Layton. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Chris Layton. Layton, uh, Chris, I want to thank you for for taking the time to chat with me, man. I really do uh, appreciate you doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. So I I want to talk a little bit about about your backstory, but I have to say there was a period of time where I was I think I was probably in my late teens and early twenties, and we had my family owns a restaurant and we had blues bands in there all the time. And I got really deep into listening to a lot of blues. And I think now looking back, I listened to you playing drums for a good solid five years of my life of like dissecting all the stuff that you did and listening to all the records that you played on and everything. So to sit down and have a conversation with you, this is really great. Uh, I was good. I hope I didn't ruin you. No, man. I, there was a, because I didn't, I didn't know. I, I didn't really know what, what blues was, you know, like I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to play blues. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know how to play a shuffle. I didn't know what slow blues were. I didn't know any of that stuff. And, uh, I learned by listening to you. So thank you. Oh, well, you're welcome. Um, I didn't learn very well. I'm not, I'm still not a amazing blues player, but at least I can, I can hold my own now. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I don't know. That's, um, I look at there's guys I know. I go, God, I, I don't do, I actually really know how to play this. Like, some of the people who were people that that I discovered, I'm like, God, they it's they just have that, you know. It's kind of what they do. Um, it's kind I would of it's say kind that's of almost, kind of what you do, and you have that. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess because I, you know, someone said about playing shuffles, and I go, I, you know, you do you do anything a long time, and you discover things about it, hopefully, and it it keeps changing, and you come to know a lot about that. There's a guy here in town, Aaron Franklin, who's become renowned at barbecue. And he made the comment recently. He said, well, yeah, I know, you know, it's, it's, it's cooking and smoking meat. He goes, I've been doing it my whole life every day. So I've learned a lot about it. Um, so, you know, whatever, whatever that is, I think no matter what you do, if, if that's the kind of time that you spend, then you're going to end up knowing things about it and how to do it. And was that something that you sought out? Did you seek out playing blues or did it sort of find you? 
No, I I kind of got a hint of it. We I was talking with somebody about this last week. Um, being a kid in South Texas, I kind of lived in, in isolated. I was in a small town, about four thousand people, and I remember that. Um, well, my father had big band records, and there was a way that that I discovered that, and so I went, "Wow, what is this music?" Um, there was that. Um, but I think in nineteen sixty nine, I heard ZZ Top on the uh, the radio. Um, and I, after heard Hendrix, I heard all this some, some stuff that I that, that came through on the radio, and um, I'm like, that sounds cool. I go, that sounds kind of like um, you know Chubby Checker that I had heard music of, and um, kind of the big band. I go, that kind of leads me to something something going on. I'm not sure what it is, um, but I mean, this is all chronologically. That's kind of all really mixed up. But well, I, know how, that- I mean, how old were you when you started playing? Oh, I started beating on stuff, my sister claims, when I was, uh, my older sister, when I was about four years old. Really? Um, yeah. Were you a family of musicians or no? Well, my father was a drummer in the Army Air Force, but I didn't know that until after I wanted to start playing. Ah, okay. And so whose drums were, or were you just banging on things? You weren't banging on us? I wasn't even banging on drums. I was banging on just everything. And that, <laughs> you know, that was to my mother's annoyance, but um. Uh, there was an incident where I went and cut some some twigs. There were actually some branches after I, highest I heard the twist by Chubby Checker. For some reason, that thing just ignited something. I don't know what was unique about it, but it did it. And so I started beating. I went out and cut some uh, branches off of some bushes and started beating around. That's when my dad brought out the big band records and we listened to those and. I thought, well, I want to play. And, you know, I guess it was really a few years later when I joined Beginner Band that um, he bought me an old cheap snare drum to start band with, mm-hmm. uh, which by the time, I, I mean, I got a drum kit when I was 14. That was my first drum kit. Um, so you got, when did I start playing? I don't, you know, <laughs> I think I started playing from the beginning and then kind of really got to express that right. at some point on, on drum, on a drum and then a set of drums. Uh-huh. It's, it's funny that you know you, you're talking about Chubby Checker and the twist, and it's the fact that that did something to you is sort of a testament to why that song was. I mean, that was a massive hit, right? So I'm sure that that there's something in that song, there's something magical about that song because other people felt the same way that you did. Whether it made them want to go play drums or not is one thing, but it absolutely did something to people because you know it was such a hit. It was a massive hit. Well, and you know what? These are interesting things. If you know, when I talk to people about you know how they got started with whatever they did, and yeah, I, who knows what that moment is? You know, you say, you know, I was just standing there, and a car drove by, and I realized I wanted to be a car salesman. It's like, was it because that one car drove by? Who knows what? Sure, you know, I'd heard all, I'd heard music, and of course, I, you know, to me, the only thing that was really available living in that town was uh, when San Antonio KTSA beamed their their signal south, and you and you listened to what was on the radio. So I'd heard various music but um i think the interesting thing you know people say oh yeah yeah blues chris layton blues drummer and i um in corpus christi i mean i was listening i I moved from that little town back to corpus christi where i was born and i was listening to all kinds of things and to me uh, to me a shuffle was uh to me a shuffle was a can't get enough of your love by bad company but i go wait a minute i'd already heard but i but that was a bigger song than zz top but i heard them doing stuff i go where did that come from Uh, meanwhile you know, I was getting off into stuff like listening to Mike Clark or, you know, first Herbie, Herbie Mason, Harvey, excuse me, Harvey Mason with uh, Herbie Hancock and the Headhunters. And I was listening to all this other stuff and Billy Cobb came along and I was into that. Then I moved to Austin and, you know, in pretty short order, I went and saw a band 
that was playing kind of like R&B, soul, you know, urban music, that's what it might have been called at the time. And I saw Stevie play, and I went, man, this guy is, whatever he's doing, it's just awesome. And he wasn't even, he was playing rhythm guitar, is what I first walked in on. And ultimately, when I got, um, you know, when we started working together, you know, he had access to all these people, his older brother and people all around that had been deep off into the music for a long time. And then I just start, really started discovering all this other stuff that, you know, I started thinking, guy, you know, can't get enough or even ZZ Top, um, you know, was real, was still real different than say Jimmy Reed or, um, you know, old BB King. I go, so, um, but you realize how just how, what variations there are, all this and how different it all really is. And, uh, so now people go, oh, well, Chris Layton, he's a, he's a blues drummer. I go, well, I play all kinds of things. That's so kind of what I'm most known for, um, I, I guess. Um, or most known for playing playing drums with Stevie Ray Vaughan, Double Trouble. But Stevie, he was playing in a, like an R&B band when you first met him? Yeah, yeah. How old was he? How old was he? He was yeah. uh, 20. Okay. How old were you? How, how far apart were you guys? Nine, uh, 11, 11 months. I was 19. Mm. And at this point, I mean, are you are you already gigging professionally or are you already out playing or were you just sort of just you know going to see some live music uh, i was living in austin i was playing with a band called greasy wheels which was part of that whole tail end of the cosmic cowboy progressive country mm-hmm. scene that took hold in austin with rusty weir and michael murphy and willie nelson had just moved back from nashville and you know there was this they weren't like real like the traditional country music they wore like glitter and did they call them cosmic cowboys right um, right and I was a band called Greasy Wheels that played like hippie rock and roll folk music with violin and congas and you know um, acoustic guitar, electric guitar. And it was it was it was something maybe more like along the lines of maybe the Grateful Dead with "It's a Beautiful Day" and mm. you know with uh, more traditional you know influences. And, but that's what I was doing professionally. And my roommate Joseph Blett, um, we were. Uh, friends from Corpus Christi were living together and he was playing in this band, Paul Ray and the Cobras. Mm-hmm. And Stevie was one of the guitar players in the band. He said, you got to come out and see us. You know, great dance band. And finally, I made it out and saw him. I went, really, really, really great band. But I went, that guy just kind of mesmerizes me. He's just playing like rhythm guitar. And um, So that was kind of just another door that opened up. Mm-hmm. You know? And it, it seems like a lot of times now everyone is trying to be really calculated about their career. And they're, oh, I gotta, I'm trying to get with this person or connect with this guy or do this thing. And it seems like bef- years ago, not years ago, but, you know, before this, this day and age, before sort of the social media era and all that kind of stuff, people just naturally let their, per- their careers progress. It would just go from one thing to the next. And what I'm getting from you is that you were sort of like, yeah, I played here and then I met this guy and, you know, we just ended up doing this thing. It wasn't this, this sort of calculated thing that you had of, you know, trying to trying to connect to the next level. You know, that's an interesting uh, thought because I've never been the person that went, hey, I heard about this. and I need to go get connected to that. and I should show up over there and I should make sure I get to know this guy or I've never been that guy. Were you always did you always think that you wanted to do this professionally, though? No. Uh-uh. Really? No. And that's kind of a little it could be a, a short story, but um, I mean, we have time. It started. It started back when when you know I was living back in Corpus Christi, and my father had taken ill. He was a car dealer, and came down with a terminal illness, as it were, and I had to sell the business. And he had a lot of 
you know, well-to-do friends and they, they, they knew that I had a real interest in just playing drums. And oddly enough, they apparently, they thought they saw something that I hadn't recognized yet with they. They said, look, we know you're, you're really like doing that, but you really need to set that aside and think about something serious. You know, your dad's real sick and your mom's going to need help. And you need to kind of put, put the childish things aside and start focusing on, you know, a real life. And I was like, I thought, well, that, I guess later on, I'll go, you know, they probably knew something that I hadn't admitted or recognized in a real way. Um, Which is? You know, well, that fast forward all these years later, I go, I guess I was going to be a professional drummer. <laughs> I mean, and that's easy to say now, but, um, you know, going back to what you, what you were talking about, about, about careers and how people try to orchestrate things. And maybe I just, I go, I can't, I, I needed something to kind of like stand in front of me and go, was I able to at some point see it and go, yeah, that's what's true. Um, I'll go and do that. I'll go in that direction. I'll, I'll take that kind of action. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing leads to another. I remember that to me. That's that. In, at this point in time, I go. That's one of the more fascinating things in life, and that I think that the universe, if you will, gives us all kinds of stuff and, and signs. And do we see them? Do we go? Hey, I recognize that. I think I'll. I should. I should do something with that. It's been this. Whatever it is has been given to me. And do I not see it, or do I just say, Yeah, I don't think so. I'll think I'll take a turn and go the other way. Or, um. And I think this, I think it's kind of the, the magic of living, really, because um, I know that I've I've tried to work to contrive many things like that, and and even if it works, I go, I thought I was headed to right field, and but I ended up in this wonderful left field over here. So sure. how did that happen? Well, it's an interesting concept that I was going to bring up is that you know you can plan all of these things, and even if you look at where you know where you are now, anyone, you, me, anyone else, you can probably look back and say, man, I really didn't think that I was going to end up here. You know, whether it be whether it be good or bad, it's just sort of wow. I, I, you know, I had a different vision of where I was going to be, or I had a different thing that I was working on, and and like you said, one thing leads to the next, leads to the next. Hey, let's not let's not be limiting here. You know, um, I got think back and I go if, if back when I was you know ten years old, someone said, okay, Chris, we're going to get you a big piece of paper and all these things that you you think you want to do and where you're going to go and how you're going to get there. We're going to write all that stuff out on a little map, and then you're going to follow that. I go, thank God that's not possible. (laughs) Yeah, because I go, boy, I tell you, so many interesting things have happened in my life that I could have never even imagined. Right. I mean, tragic, wonderful, I mean, the whole thing. Of course. But I go, boy, thank, thank God that, you know, you know, that old saying is that, you know, life what's hap- was what happens while we're busy making plans. I go, thank God I don't really have the power to try to design my whole life, you know, from here on out or from there to here. And because w- it would have been very limiting and what what I would have come up with. Sure. Um, and so, that's kind of anyway. Well, no, I, I agree with you. I was going to ask who so young Chris Layton, who who did who did you want to be or what did you want to be if it weren't a drummer? I had no idea. No other interests or no, I mean, you know what my father once said, he said, he goes, I think that a a man should become what he's, his, his, he thinks about most of the time. He said, or, you know, what, what his passion is. I thought, yeah, that sounds great. You know, and, um, but you know, I'm going to go out in the yard and go play baseball or whatever, you know, I mean, whatever that is. And, um, that's the, you know, the kind of the waking up to go, God, you know, I've been playing drums like my whole life. I've been beating on stuff. And then, you know, somebody calls you up and says, Hey, we want you to come work for us. Um, and I go, okay, and then you're doing that, and you go, well, I'm a professional musician, and I'm making pretty decent money, and I'm real happy, and you go, so what's not to like, or what should I be afraid of? And, you know, these stories that I heard, like, you don't want to do that, you know, it's a dead end road, people don't make it, it doesn't work out, you know. Right. 
Yeah, and and you know, and the details of some of these other stories, like you need to think about being a doctor, or you should maybe be a lawyer, or look into a professional. Insurance agent would be a good thing for you, I think. All that, yeah, 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 yeah. But get into plastics, you know, or right. you know, drill oil. You live in South Texas, you know, or whatever. <laughs> Do that. That's you know that that's the certainty of the future. I go. I don't know. I could never like make sense of any of that stuff. And then one day you wake up and you go, Hey, I'm playing music professionally and I love it. I've been doing this my whole life. I go, yeah, that's what I am. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. I mean, that's not what I am, but that's what I do. Um, see, I go, ah, you know, I don't know how I got there other than, you know, when there was a sign that said, Hey, you know, come here. I go, okay, I'll just go there. And then you get there and you go, well, that's a good place to be. Mm -hmm. And then you get another sign and you go, yeah, I think I'll go there now. And I think a lot of times we try to project these these fears or these outcomes without really knowing what's going to happen. So you can say, sure, there are, you know, the stories are true. There's plenty of people who have gone down the road of trying to be a professional musician and they failed, right? But if you if you don't try it, then how are you ever going to know? I think a lot of people never even get started because they say, well, I'm probably going to fail at that. So let me go do something else. It's like, well, you can Absolutely. fail at that too. No, I've, I've run into people. I'm actually sat with people and like they were really very great drummers that good musical sense they go god i really like to do what you do and i go well then go do it mm -hmm. they go oh, i don't think i could do that i go well there you go right you you won't do it you can't do it you're not doing it because you just said that you can't mm -hmm. and so i don't know i mean life doesn't offer any guarantees i mean you know in our society we got it everywhere like guaranteed or your money back and this is warranted and this is guaranteed and i go there's no guarantees about any of that stuff i mean now people who wanted to be lawyers and they bombed out in law school go well there you go you failed at that or whatever that is mm -hmm. you know and so I don't know I don't I don't have um and that's daunting you know it's kind of it can kind of make people operate from a position of fearfulness as opposed to like wow I wonder what could happen if I did that that sounds intriguing like I better not do that because that's scary I better do something that doesn't seem scary you know mm -hmm. so I don't know it's um how, you know, the truth of it, truth of it is, as time goes on, I just kind of get more insight into living is is what it what it is. Right. Well, and I was going to ask, are you are you more of of an optimist, or are you more of a, or do you have less fear of failure than than most people? Do you think? You know, at this point, I think I do. Um, I mean, just me relative to, to Chris Layton's life. I mean, I won't, I won't, I won't kid you. Um, there's a lot of things that I that I did. Because I was driven by fear, like I, I don't want to, I don't want to screw this up, or I don't want to fail, or you know. So you go, which is it? Um, are we driven because we're really happy and everything's so wonderful? And I go, I think that's, I think there's moments of that, and I think that's, that there's a lot of uh, that drives the human nature uh, that's fear based. Oh, I better do this because I won't, don't want that to happen. Or mm -hmm. I think it's both of those things. I don't think it's always just one or the other. Are you saying you think you worked harder because you were afraid of failing at it? Or you didn't, uh, yeah, or you didn't was, do things because you were afraid that you would fail. So you said, "Ah, I might as well not even try." I mean, all that's happened. <laughs> that's why when people say, "Hey, man, you're a big success," can you tell me how to do that? I go, "Not really." Um, I can tell you this: is if you don't try, nothing will happen. Right. And if you quit, I, they don't really give nice trophies for quitting. No, um, they don't. Well, now they do in 2017. I think. Yeah, they do. I think, you get, I think you get a quitter trophy. <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine said, "Yeah, I think my kids have suffered from the sixth place trophy syndrome a little bit." <laughs> it's like, wow, you came, you showed up for your first day of baseball practice. We have a trophy for you over here. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, or you're leaving? Okay, sorry. Well, here, take a little consolation prize because you didn't want to make the effort. You know, it's like I think there's a bit, there's a, a bit, a bit of that in um, our world. 
But, you know, towards the bigger picture, it's like, I mean, who knows what life's really going to be for them. And, 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 you know, the other part of that is like, you know, how do we, how do we measure what that means? Somebody asked me, they said, well, how did you know when you had made it? I go, made it, you know, how did you know when you had arrived? I go, arrived where or made what? Or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, milestones early on. It's like, I tell you, you know what making it seems like to me is that when I can actually, I can pay and afford to have somebody, you know, take my gear to the gig and set yeah. it up for me. Go, That's a big deal. It's kind of like finally having your own washer and dryer yep. instead of going to the yep. wash to a laundromat, you know? Get, or um, getting your own hotel room on the road. Getting your own hotel room. Man, that is like, that is, that is the Shangri-La right there. So, you know, as a player, I was over at my studio yesterday and I was working on some real basic stuff, just kind of taking a, you know, making an assessment of like, how am I doing with this? It was like the same kind of stuff I'd done the very first time I played. Mm-hmm. But just to kind of take a, you know, a check, you know, yeah. um, I was talking to Billy Cobham one time and we'd done this, these shows together and I said, yeah, what's uh, you know, what does all this mean to you? He said, he said, well, you know, he goes, he goes, he goes, I'll tell you, he goes, the biggest challenge for me is he goes, when I get up, I go, is there something, an inspiration that I can find that actually inspires me to do, you know, a, approach what I, you know, what I do every day kind of in a more enlightened way and inspired way. Can I, and I go, that's kind of looking for these little treasures that make you get up after you've been doing something for many years and you, you've won an awards and you got accomplishments and you, you know, had a good career. And I go, okay, still it's, you know, single stroke and double stroke roles. And, you know, mm-hmm. I go, yeah, I know how to do those. I go, yeah, but how, you know, where do you have an inspired way to kind of approach all this? And so, that really hit me because I go, yeah, I'm looking for inspirations to kind of make me wake up and go, you know, I feel today like I did when I first sat down and everything was new and, you know, fresh. And mm-hmm. um, that's a hard thing sometimes to, uh, you know, it's hard to get on that trail sometimes. Sure. Is there anything specific that you do to find that inspiration? Are you a reader? Do you meditate? Anything like that? Well, I, yeah, I meditate, um, uh, you yeah, know, towards, towards actual playing, Um you know, there's these all these things like, you know, how do we grab for enlightened spiritualism and inspiration and all that? I go, the simple thing is just start doing and see what you find and see what you can, what you see about, you know, what you're doing and how you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a bunch of old sayings, you know, chop wood, carry water, you know, karate kid, wax on, wax off. You can just get out there and start doing it and see what you find and see, see where that takes you. Mm-hmm. Real kind of really kind of dumb, simple sounding stuff, but it's, um, you know, I think, I think it's simple. I think it's simple in the, in the messaging difficult in the doing. Well, I think it all that is see, and that's when, when, when someone says, well, how did you do that? I go, I I don't know. I just tried to stay tuned in and you know, you stay committed and you have faith and you have trust in your work and you work hard and things happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that, you know, it's just like life itself. Everything's kind of like the long road. Um, I, I think the, you know, the delusion that certainly I can suffer under and have from time to time is like, you know, once again, we go back to the reward. Um, I did that. Um, I think I did it enough. I'm not seeing a result that I want to get. It's like, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. You just got to keep going. You got to keep doing. And um, it's amazing how when you when you keep doing something and you stay engaged with it, try to stay tuned in and, and work hard and all that, how things just start happening. Right. Not by my design. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take advantage of these, maybe these moments where, you know, like when I met Stevie, um, he came over to the apartment next day because my roommate was his bandmate. He showed up and we started talking and he, um, I was 
listening to a Donny Hathaway, the Donny Hathaway live record. He's like, you like that record? I'm like, yeah. He goes, who else do you like? Oh, I've got Jimi Hendrix. Mitch Mitchell's one of my heroes. He's like, man, I like him too. You know, this is like, this is all was like, this was, we were in the blues world or he mm-hmm. was and he said, you like Stevie Wonder? I go, oh, one of my favorites. Like, yeah, me too. And I said, hey, you know what, man, I'd like to work with you. I said, anytime, whatever that might be, however that might be under whatever basis, I said, I'd love to work with you. And he kind of drew back and went, okay. Well, that was an opportunity. Sure. That's how I felt. And I meant that, so I expressed it. I didn't make sure that, you know, that we were going to work together. Right. I couldn't make sure of that. All I could tell him. And then we did. So I go, how did that happen? I go, I don't know. I went out and saw a band. He was in it. He came by the next day. I told him how I felt. And then later on, he asked me to work with him. Right. And it's such, I, I bring this up all the time. And I, th- I think about this a lot of the one, you know, this thing that you did, however long ago, and then this other thing that is a result of that thing that you did so long ago. And then this other thing is a result of that other thing that you did as a result of the thing that you did, you know, and it's, you could never put those pieces together yourself. It's just, I don't know what it is, you know, call it fate or I don't know. But, you know, you say, you know, I have I have a business partner now and it's like, how did I meet him? I got a scholarship when I was in college and my point of contact is his best friend and introduced me to this guy 13 years later. You know, like how you can't put those pieces together. It's just it just doesn't happen. You can't you couldn't do it on your own. Right. I was I was talking to a guy last night who was I was at this party and he was talking about um, you know Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies were definitely going to be the future and you know all music would be sold because you'd be it, everything would become blockchained together mm-hmm. you know you look at it like it's molecules and I go I mean everything you just talked about it's like you did this and then something happened and then you got to do that and then something happened and I mean the whole path to me and the whole thing about life is just one thing building on another and you don't know what that's going to be mm-hmm. you might you'd like to think it's like a bricklayer like we've got an eight foot wall here and we got all these bricks to build eight feet you know like it but there's nothing i've ever discovered in life that works that way generally though that all saying that you know hard work brings good luck i think that there's nothing ever truer that's been said mm-hmm. you know you got to do and you got to work and you know, that's where all that stuff about, you know, having some kind of faith and trust and being able to stay committed comes in. And then, God, who knows what that result's going to be? And yep. Life offers no guarantees. And you're like, oh, really? I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's the part that, you know, that makes getting up every day and working maybe daunting from time to time. And you feel like, oh, you know, maybe I ought to quit or, you know, these things where you build in expectations. And you think, you know, I've, I've determined what I think a result should be by now. And that didn't happen. So I guess I ought to just go home or mm-hmm. And life is really, you know, it's such an open-ended deal. It's like, who knows what's going to happen? But with those elements, you know, of, of staying on that path, I go, all kinds of wonderful things have happened. I couldn't have told you that that they were going to, and I didn't know that they would. And, you know, it's easy now to say, yeah, 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 go be a drummer, you know? Right. Go be a blues drummer. It worked out good for me. I think everybody should do it. I go, that's not true at all. Sure. You know? Sure. People, people ask me that. They go, "Do you think I should, I should be a professional musician?" I have. To, I said, "You're the only one that can answer that." And if you don't love it and you're not impassioned by it, and you have a lot of reservations about what it might mean, I go, "Maybe it's not for you." Because mm-hmm. then again, you know, I'm no different than the guy that I see playing. You know, I say a drum kit, and he sounds wonderful, but he says, "I, I couldn't, I couldn't do what you're, what you do." I go, "Well, you probably couldn't because you just said that." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think we as musicians have this thing where if 
we're not going to be on tour and we're not going to be playing with a big artist and we're not going to quote unquote make it whatever that means. I hate that. I hate those words, but uh, that we failed as a musician. And like, if you have a day gig, it's, it's like, Oh, you have a day gig. What's, what do you, what are you thinking? Having a day gig, you should be a professional drummer. And I think that's bad. I think that's toxic for, for people's psyche. I think it's bad for drumming in, in general. I think if you want to work a day gig and play on the weekends, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Absolutely. That. I mean, I mean, when I was a little kid, you know, and I was sitting in my bedroom playing my drum kit. I mean, everybody as children, we all have our dreams. You know, we have whatever they're grandiose, and they might be whatever they might be. But I wasn't doing that because I thought, you know what? In 1989, even though it's you know 1968, mm-hmm. 1989, I'm going to sell out Madison Square Garden, and I know that that's going to happen. So I guess I'll keep playing today. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I had no idea about any of that stuff, really. I mean, I didn't, but um, I, I was just uh, driven by the the actual enthusiasm and the connection. Like, I really like doing this. This is fun, and I everything about it intrigues me. I go, that's enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's got to be enough because nothing else can I determine. Yeah. Not not with any kind of certainty where I go. Okay, now that I've got this guarantee, I go. I guess I'll go ahead and do that. And I and I and I met I met a young man some months ago who was struggling with whether or not he should go to law school, gotten out of college. And I said, well, what are you struggling with? He said, well, you know, because I don't know if really if I want to do all that if I'm not someday going to get to have my own firm and be a partner. And I thought, well, maybe you shouldn't go to law school. Yeah. I mean, if that's the, if that's the, the deciding factor, I go, there's no, I got, I didn't tell him this, but I thought there's no way he can guarantee other than through his hard work. And there is no guarantee anyway, but right. it probably could happen, but it's not going to happen if that's the only reason that, you're just trying to decide whether or not to go to law school or not. Seem mm-hmm. to me, or it's not going to happen if you just go to law school and sit on your couch and wait for yeah, it. Yeah, you know? I went to law school and I'm sitting here and I'm still not a partner. You know, mm-hmm. I think a or lot of people wait for the is. door for people to knock on the door. You know, yeah, yeah, um, and people do knock on the door, but you know, you kind of have to give them. You, have to, you go out and do things, and then they have a reason to knock on the door. Right, right. They're not just plucking you, you out a, of thin air. And you see doors that you have a reason to go knock on. Mm-hmm. Of course. So talk to me about about the relationship with Stevie. Talk to me about how I know that. So you guys met the next day, but how long was it after that until you guys started actually working together? You know what? It was uh, a few months. Um, it was kind of an odd thing. I actually just heard a story about a year and a half ago that when he came to the apartment that day, that my roommate, his bandmate, answered the door. I was back there with headphones on. I was sitting at a drum kit listening to this Donny Hathaway live record. And the story that I just heard more recently was that he pulled Joe out, Joseph Blunt, and he said, hey, I really like him. Because I, you know what, here's weird. This part of the story I didn't tell you. Was that the night before when I met him, I actually got up on stage and played with the band because their drummer was late. He'd overslept and um, he worked during the day sometimes doing sheetrock, making mm-hmm. extra money. Married man with a child. And they said, well, my roommate convinced them to get me up there. I played three or four songs, got down. The next day, Stevie comes to the apartment. He knocks on the door. Joe opens it. Joe Sublette pulls him outside. Stevie says, hey, he goes, I, has he ever played blues before? And he went, no, he, he never really has. He went, that's good. <laughs> this is what I never heard before. It's Joe said, yeah, why is that good? He said, a lot of people get concepts about what, what's supposed to be and what's not supposed to be. He goes, I like him. He goes, so he doesn't have any concepts about what blues is supposed to be or not supposed to be. He goes, I like that. I didn't know any of this. This is like 38 years ago, whatever. And um, so there was this incident where 
he called me up one day at the apartment. He said, hey, man, you want to come over to this little studio? And um, I said, yeah. I went to the address, and W.C. Clark, who was a bass player, fabulous bass player, great singer, great guitar player, too, around town. I walked in, and they had, like, there's a drum kit, and W.C. was standing there with his bass strapped on, and Stevie had, his, Stevie had his guitar leaning against the wall, and W.C. said, hey, man, why don't you come over here and sit down? Let's play a little bit. And I realized it was really like an audition on, like, a human level and mm-hmm. on an interest level and really on a practical level. And W.C., who'd played with Bobby Bland and played with Joe Tex. And oh, wow. He said, "Watch you." He goes, "Play, play." He goes, "Play, play. Let's play a little shuffle." And I started playing one. It probably sounded like Deep Purple or Bad Company. So he said, "No, hang on, man. Play quiet, man. Play quiet." And he said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come around, and say a few things in your ear." He goes, "Don't look at me." He goes, "Just play quiet." He started talking to me about like the storytelling and parables. It was absolutely fascinating. He said, really? "You're from the coast." He goes, "You're from the coast." I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Don't, you don't need to answer." He goes, "I'm, I'm just talking to you." Is it? You can go down there at the beach, and the waves come in, and the swells come in, and they break. They got like a rhythm to it. He started talking, because there's the sand dunes, and they roll along, and everything's got this rolling. And all of a sudden, my playing kind of started changing. I could feel it changing. And I looked over, and Stevie's looking at me. He started smiling, and so WC went, turned his bass on. Stevie picked up his guitar. We jammed for about 30, 45 minutes, and then they started. I said, we got to go. And I said, hey, thanks for coming by. And they left, and I left. Were you like, what the hell was that? Well, I was like, uh, I went, wow, that's cool. And I was like, later on, I thought, I went, you know what? He was, it was like an audition to see if, if you were malleable. Well, or if I would listen or mm-hmm. if I, you know, or whatever that was. And then a short time after that, he said, hey, man, you want to be in my band? I was like, yeah. And mm-hmm. I'd already told him that, you know. And, and what, his stature, good. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't Stevie Ray Vaughan at that point, though, right? No, he was Stevie Vaughan. He didn't even have his black hat. And the band I was working with that was actually paying me a good salary, a Friday paper paycheck. The guy said, you know what? He goes, you are making the biggest mistake in your life. He goes, that guy's so shot loose. He doesn't even have any place to live. You know, every, he has to even borrow amps. And he goes, you are making the biggest mistake of your life. I said, I don't know. I said, but... It feels real to me. And he goes, I said, I'm excited. So I left a job that was paying me to one that I was immediately making no money. Mm. I don't know. Something just said, you, you, this is what you need to do. That's one of those, to me, that's one of those signs where you go, do you hear that? What that's, what, whatever that is, it's telling you, this is what you need to do. This is everything that you've, that, you know, inside you that says, this is what you need to do. And that's true. I went, I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm driven to it. I'm like, it's exciting. They go, what in the world could be exciting about all that? I go, I, I just feel excited. <laughs> well, were, I mean, was the band playing already? I mean, was there was there money, any money coming in at all, or was well, it just, yeah, but it was yeah. it was um it was it was kind of a rough deal. I mean, it was I was back to like, gee, I got rent money, but God, the gas bills due at the end of the week, and we don't have that gig until the middle of the following week, and and uh, you know it might mean a couple hundred dollars, or, mm-hmm. you know, so it was a struggle. I mean, right. I wasn't struggling at all as a professional musician, but the gig, but I was getting bored with it. And I thought, oh, is this what this is all about? And then when I, when all that started happening, I was like, this is what's exciting. Sure. This sure. seems like this is like this huge, big universe that's waiting out there. And um, So, yeah, it was a, it was a struggle. When, when Stevie died, I go, that was, you know, we'd, we'd struggle with a lot of different things because we'd had a lot of success. And we'd gone through a whole lot of different things personally and business-wise, career and you know, to make the music, and when he died uh, at Alpine Valley, you know, you feel like you go, you know what? We are like home free. 
we've got so many things that we've worked through and you know now we're going we're in arenas and i go man it's going to be it's going to be you know outer space from here on out and the next day you wake up you go well he's gone and this is all over and you go wait a minute what kind of guarantee was that yeah you know? and he and he like at that point he was sober and all that right and it was like yeah was yeah like a big thing yeah, everybody's healthy. We got all our business in line. You know, put out a good record. We're doing great shows. You know, we had the last you know couple of years was just stellar compared to anything that we'd ever you know done before. Great, great music, great relationships, great business, great everything. Go now, we're really set. You know, mm-hmm. you're like you like you took all three stages of the rocket and you're actually in outer space. Now we're going to start all over again. We get to take off from here. Right. And then you wake up and you go, it's that's over. And Talk, you go, how? what was the build like? Like you say, that rocket ship. Like, I mean, where did from that room, you know, at that little rehearsal to you know selling out Madison Square Garden? What was that? What was that trajectory like? How did how did you guys navigate that? Uh, not very well. Um, <laughs> I think we learned most of our lessons the hard way. But however, you have to learn them. You know, it's like that old thing about you know about the tacking of a of a of a sail a sailboat. It's like. You think, you know, we'd like to get over there. And you go, well, great. That's not going to be a straight line. Mm-hmm. It's like when airplanes fly through the air. They drift this way and they go that way and they're kind of moving. And, you know, ultimately they get it. it, it that's an easy one. Ultimately, they get to a destination. But the destination, there isn't really one. But, you know, we, we took turns and had twists and turns in the road. And they were there were a lot of painful ones. And we made a lot of big mistakes. And we had a lot of wonderful successes. And mm-hmm. we always had each other in our music. Right. And that's what was really at the core of all of it. That we're like we were a family, and we always had that. We knew that mm-hmm. we were always there for one another, and we, that was a real. There was a lot that happened when you know when he passed away. That um, you know that was lost because it was deeper than like we got a real we got a band and we make good money. You know, right, right. Um, that was kind of the least of it, really. Mm-hmm. But you know, you um, yeah, God, we. Yeah, we, I think we did everything you could do. We screwed up about every way you possibly could, and we kind of we came back from it because mm-hmm. uh, we didn't give up. Right, right. That's just the simple thing. We just kept going. We wouldn't give up. Um, and I think that's probably you know no matter who you look at, I quote any band or anything. Go, you know, whether you look at Metallica, or Rolling Stones, U two, on and on. You go, they just don't give up. They just keep working. They keep yeah. figuring out what they can do and what they need to do and what doesn't work and what does, and just keep on going. Very few times have I ever heard of a band that got you know got on that rocket ship and went to the top without having these crazy times, without making all these mistakes, whether it be drugs or whether it be alcohol or whether it be feuding or whether it be, you know, they just whatever it is. You know, there's always. I think there's. What do you think that is? Do you think it's growing pains? Do you think that it's sort of the unknown? I mean, there's a big difference between playing in a in a small room by yourselves and carrying your amps and drums in to playing across the country and tour buses with crew and, and playing in front of thousands of fans and all that. I mean, that's a, that's a total mind shift, right? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, that's certainly a growing pain. I think all this does just life itself. I think anything that, that, can I do something that doesn't involve all that crap? I go, I think that's just delusional. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause if you don't feel like carrying, you know, I don't feel like carrying my drum kit through the snow, into a club, then how am I going to feel when all of a sudden says if something happened in your business and you owe this company a half a million dollars, you got to go pay it off. Like, well, I'm not going to do that. I was like, well, which thing are you going to do and which thing you're not going to do and which thing you're going to pick and choose. And, you know, you kind of, 
there's an old thing about, you know, we don't know what cars we're going to get dealt. And it's, we get dealt a hand and it's not really what we get dealt, but how do we play them? Mm-hmm. You know, what do we do with what's before us and what's, what's been given to us or what's happened and how do we live through that? Right. Um, and like I said, some of these things, you know, we did poorly and then we, some, some we did very well, um, you know, in the, in the mix of all of it, uh, you know, by the time we were into our last day of existence, I go, you know, we were doing a really good job with everything. Mm-hmm. And you go, finally, finally right. we really figured a bunch of stuff out here. Um, and who knows, you know, you know, they say the only thing that's maybe worse than not getting what you want is getting what you want. Because yeah. um, every time, you know, something else happens, you have a whole new set of things to take a look at and to, you know, work with. And it just keeps on going. I think that's just life. I think the human condition is one that we struggle. Mm-hmm. Um I think the delusion is like, I want to do something where I'm always happy and it's really easy and I get all the rewards that I think I deserve. And I think it's just, that's a delusional fantasy. I agree. In my I experience, I don't think that exists except in the in a movie. Right. Or I, or I get to write, I'll write one. I'll draw that out and I'll go, yeah, I'll read that to myself. That looks good. There you go. <laughs> but what were some of the, some of the big mistakes that you guys made? Oh God. Um, I don't know. I can't, um, you know, there's, I, I don't, you just say, which one is bigger? I don't know if there's like the biggest one. Or what are some of the big mistakes that you made? Well, I mean, you, you do all kinds of things as you're going down the road and like maybe you, uh, you know, I, well, one of the things that kind of befell us was the drugs and alcohol, but right. You know, you go, is that a mistake? I don't know. Somebody drinking down at the corner bar tonight, having a good time. Is it, did they just make that mistake? And, Five years from now, they're going to be an alcoholic drug addict, and mm-hmm. they should have known when they just were, you know, having a drink at happy hour. Who knows? Right. Um, but you make, was, it, you know, was you go, it just Stevie, or was the whole band? It was just bad. Oh well, we were all involved in that, but you know, that's kind of an over—that's an overriding thing that kind of influences many things. We so go, man, I don't know if we should have signed that merchandise deal, and I don't know if we should have been on that tour. We didn't, you know, we didn't watch our money in that case. Um, you know. There's all these like they're they're really little things that, that, you, that you say they are, but then they have a big effect. And mm-hmm. um, the I know that the more successful that somebody gets, and the more you know material success they have, the, the smaller but seemingly small decisions can end up having large ramifications just because the economy of scale. Right. Um, so yeah, it's different than missing missing a gig down at the neighborhood bar. You go wait, you know, we missed that gig at Loja Stadium. You know. Right. right. Oh, you guys would miss gigs? No, no. We oh. didn't miss gigs. Oh. Just, that's just a, that's an example. Sure, uh, right. Think, what was the big mistake you made? Well, it wasn't a big mistake, right? Missing the bar gig down at the corner, but you missed a gig, you missed a gig. I mean, if, right. if you missed Aloha Stadium, you go, that's a big mistake. Sure. So you do all these kind of things that you go, well, you think that's the right thing to do, or you don't know, or you do this. You go, that really wasn't the right thing to do, and it had big ramifications. So I think that, you know, all of them are, you know, just a, part of just learning how to live better or by maybe having to learn how to live worse sometimes. This episode is brought to you by my good friends at Promark and they are introducing the new Firegrain drumstick. 
that uses a revolutionary heat tempering process to transform ordinary hickory drumsticks into precision tools with unprecedented durability. Keeping their original weight, balance, and feel, Promark Firegrain sticks allow drummers to hit harder and play longer naturally. So there's no excess vibration, no space-age gimmicks, just natural hickory hardened by flame. Unlike any other drumsticks that use synthetic alternatives that transmit excessive vibrations, Firegrain drumsticks remain the natural feel, weight, and balance that you would expect from a regular hickory stick. They're available in classic, forward balance, and select balance across a variety of sizes, and you can learn more by going to promark.com. One line in the Dream Symbol family that I think is really cool is the Dark Matter family. They have the Flat Earth, the Moon Ride, and the Dark Matter Energy. And although they're all made a little bit differently, they all involve the Dark Matter process. And this is really cool. Check this out. They take a symbol that is already finished and then put it back in the oven, hand hammer it, and then shock it with cold water, and then put it back in the oven. And what happens is the ash and the soot from the oven are fused to the top layer of the metal, which give it this really, really unique sound. And you know what? I want to let you hear exactly what this process does to a symbol. Check them out. To learn more about Dream Symbols, their Dark Matter line, and all their great products, be sure to check out DreamSymbols.com. Well, let's get back into it with Chris Layton. What are some things that that people maybe don't know about Stevie? Or what was you know what was it what was it like to be on stage with him and and, and play with him? Oh, he's fabulous. <laughs> well, I'm sure. I mean, is there? I mean, is, I'm trying to get inside of your your brain to what it was like to to be on stage with. I mean he's arguably one of the greatest guitar players ever, you know? You know what? He was probably one of the freest people, if not the most that I've ever worked with. I mean, we could go, we would play, we play a show in front of a hundred thousand people. And all of a sudden he decides to start jamming on something. We just fall in. There's no like, Hey, we got a hundred thousand people or we can't just all start jamming on something we've never done before. So yeah, we can. Why couldn't we do that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's how a lot of things happen for us. Um, Say about John Merritt doing this thing with the dead. And, um, you know, those guys actually liked our band. We thought, well, wonder what, what do they like about us? They go, well, they think you're, you guys are just like they are. This is the word that we had gotten. They are kind of real spontaneous and you're open. I go, yeah, we are all that, really. Mm-hmm. And Stevie didn't really care. He really didn't care about the material success. I mean, everybody likes to eat better, be able to buy a home and a card and all those things. But he said, I just want to play guitar. And he was real free about that. Mm-hmm. Um, real simple guy. You know, he'd like to just sit on the front porch and read dumb comics. And, you know, I mean, he was really, really simple in that way. Um, right. He was very open. He's kind of this open channel that, you know, yeah, when we started working together, he said, I don't really care what you do. He goes, just, just mean it and be committed to it. And if you screw up, just don't stop. He goes, we just keep on going is what we do. Right. That's what I want to do. And so there were no rules. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. That's what I think that... um he liked about me. I go, I don't care. I don't know what the rules are. I go, there aren't any rules. Let's just do what we feel and make sure that, you know, that, that we're doing something, we're doing whatever we do means something to us and we'll be good. Right. And that's kind of a weird thing to deal with. Um, it is because you start classifying yourself like, okay, now that we're this, then this is how we need to go. 
Mm-hmm. And it's always attached to some like, well, we need to be this way because if we don't, we might not get the result we got last time when we were that way. Right. And you start pigeonhole, pigeonholing yourself and bracketing and classifying and framing yourself in. And um, the only thing that he ever, as a leader, you know, the thing that, that he did was say, do, do we feel like it, it's real to us? And that was the only, that was the only guideline. Mm-hmm. And I got, it was a real pure one. I mean, I'm, I remember when we wrote Crossfire, we took it in for the in-step sessions. He said, you know, great, let great, me listen. Great tune, by the way. Well, thank you. He said, I, I, he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't one of the writers. He said, let me, um, he said, I, I need to see if I can find that I have a connection to this. And we're like, oh, okay. So a couple of days later, I think it was, he said, you know, um, I found what that was, the meaning for me. He goes, so let's, let's give it a shot. Let's cut it. But he was that way about everything. When you go, Dad, Dad, don't you see well, this could be a big opportunity if maybe if we cut this track or we did this? He goes, I don't, I don't feel it. Doesn't feel real. Really? And these, they, I mean, yeah, which I is mean, great. What, I mean, I think that's amazing. No, but it's scary. It's uncertain. It's like you feel like, wow, we don't have control over. Like, what do you mean? It, what, what's you know? You look and you go, why? And I, I get it now. I get it now more than I actually ever did. Was it? I look, go back and. Oh, look at the whole, all the music that we did. It all has a real, real continuity to it. It's like a body of work as opposed to they did this kind of record and then they did that kind of record and they dressed up like this and went that direction. And then they did, you know, mm-hmm. um, and all that, you know, came to me really comes down to, to him first saying, does it feel real? Does it just actually feel real to us? Like it's really us. Right. And I know those are, that's a really profound question. And I think that, you know, in the purest sense, it's something that can easily be answered if we, if you can be honest and say, no, it doesn't, but I think it might produce a hit. It's like, no, it's not a real answer. Does it feel real? It's like, no. Okay, well, let's not do that. Right. And he you always know, made that decision, or was it a band dynamic? Well, we did. We it was a band dynamic. He ultimately was the one who was going to make the decision. That says, well, this is what you know. I want this to be. And it actually, Crossfire is a good example because when that when that song came out, it went. Re- pretty quickly at the top of album oriented radio, you know, when there was album radio and it hung there for a whole number of weeks and the label came to us. They said, look, this thing could cross over to top radio, but it needs to be edited because it's a little bit too long. and It's got too much guitar in it. Mm -hmm. It got a guitar solo and what was called CHR, contemporary hit radio. um, Didn't have songs like that, generally speaking. So they wanted to edit out the guitar solo to make the song shorter. And he said, yeah, I don't know about that. He said, let me think about that. And he thought about it. And we all thought about it for about six, seven weeks. And he said, yeah, you know what? He goes, that's not real. He goes, this is Stevie Ray Vaughan, Double Trouble. And it's a band that I started and it's driven by guitar, even though we have the song. He goes, if we took the guitar solo out, what would we be saying about how we felt about the the, the actual tune to begin with? Mm. Like that, that needed to go for what reason? For the promise that we could have basically a major hit? He goes, I don't know if any of that's true. And he goes, and even if it was, it wouldn't be real to the way we made the music in the first place. Right. And I went, these are all true things. Mm-hmm. I go, really? We got this fabulous guitar player. We got this great band. And we got a great piece of music with this great guitar solo. But now for the promise that we're going to be something bigger than we are right now, we'll just take all that out. And there you go. And let's see what happens. He goes, no, it's not true. It's not real. I don't want to do it. Wow, and so we didn't do it, and they didn't take it to CHR, and it never happened. And I go, that's just another real thing about how he examined, you know, those things. And I go, all everything he said was absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Everything that everybody else promised, if we did X, Y, or Z, might have been true. But who knows? 
Um, and at the end of the day, it didn't really matter. It didn't really matter, you know. There's that thing that says that says that if it's really if it's urgent, it might not be important. If it's important, it's probably not urgent. Right. Something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah. And, yep. That the um, uh, the cross of the yeah. There's four quadrants in it. You ever see that? Don't know about that. No, I don't know about that. Oh, I just okay. know the statement. I go. You know what? If we gotta we gotta make this decision right now for you all for your career. I go. We really have to do that right now, or what will happen? It's like we've been doing this all our life, and what will happen if we don't make this decision like in the next two weeks? It's like, is it that important? Mm-hmm. I think the more important thing was is that you know we didn't need to make we didn't need to make that decision, and we didn't, and it kind of just contributed more to what we were all about anyway. In other right. words, staying true to what the, the band's music had been about. Mm-hmm. I th- there was no there was no contrivance with him. Right. He didn't care about you know. I remember when uh, Texas Flood went to like number 14, you know, on the national charts, he went, he goes, how about that? He goes, I guess we're a top 40 band now. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I never thought of being a top 40 band. He goes, our, song, our record's at 14. We must be in the, t- we must be a top 40 band. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the interesting thing about that conver- or about that decision is when I said it, it, that it didn't matter, I guess it, I mean, on the flip side of that, it really mattered. Him, you know, him making the decision to not do it, or you guys making the decision not to do it, I think is a bigger. It did more for for the the purity of the band than going the other direction. So it actually maybe it mattered a lot more than you know we realize. Well, there's an old saying, you know, so it's not like it's an old West saying where you know it's it's a classic case of where somebody sticks to their guns, so right. to speak. Mm-hmm. It's like. That's not who we had been anyway. Now all of a sudden we're gonna we're gonna start being some some band that we're not on the promise that you know that we could be something more than we are. What does all that mean? Mm-hmm. You know we're doing we're doing we're doing just fine. And once you, you know, make that the, compromise, you're gonna make other compromises. Well, you know there's always that treachery, but he was always he just didn't live that way, and that's the way he was a really a great leader. He wasn't necessarily a great business leader. He wasn't a lot of things that he wasn't great at, but. You know, that was all of us together to participate in, you know, everything together. Um, but he was always very pure and very, um, I don't know, very, it was very, very sacred to him. And I go, thank God that it was, because sometimes we're going, come on, man, shouldn't we edit this out, you know? And, right. and then later I went, yeah, we, that's, we did, that was the, exactly the right thing to do. You know, going back to, you know, when people said, well, how did you know when you had made it? And how did you know when you were a big success? I go, you know, when we had the band together, especially at the time that was, you know, that turned into Stevie and Tommy and myself, I go, we felt right then every time we went and played, we love what we do. We're having the time of our life. That's success. Mm-hmm. Not whether or not I got rid of the old car and bought a new one right. or not like, wow, you know, I'm going to get to buy a house now. Now I'm, now I must've made it, you know, or mm-hmm. those are all yeah, those yeah. things are wonderful. Believe me. Um, I'm a, I'm a materialist, mm-hmm. you know, there's a capitalist in me, but I go, there was nothing that, that and it goes, and, and that same idea goes back to me leaving a band that was paying me a weekly paycheck to go to total uncertainty by something that I felt great about, that I went, I, this is what I want to do. Right. Yeah. You know, it's all the same thing, really, to mm-hmm. me. No, I agree. I agree. Now, you you were cited as saying that the day that Stevie passed away was the, the worst thing that ever happened to you, it was the worst day of your life. How yes. do you... How were you there? Were you at Alpine? Were you at that show or was that a. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I wasn't sure if, if Stevie, if he was just, if he was there making an appearance with the rest of the, with everyone else or if it was every, like Eric Clapton's band in Europe and Double Trouble and everything. No, we were opening for Eric Clapton two nights at Alpine Valley. And, the, and 
um, it was just a simple case that we both had rented the same helicopter service to shuttle us from Wisconsin back to Chicago every you know every evening and and we all there was a big jam at the end of the night. We knew that could be a possible conflict, and it was. They had an open seat, and they said, "Hey, do you want to take it? You're, you're the leader of the band." It was whatever that hierarchical thing. He went, "Yeah, I'll do it." He got on, and the thing crashed. Um, so it was tragic for a lot of people. There were five people that died on that helicopter that night, and they had everybody had families, and right. it was a, a, a real tragic thing for a lot of people. So I mean, it could have been anyone who got on that helicopter. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, wow, that's crazy. So. How do you how do you start to put the pieces back together from that as because one he's your friend two he's your bandmate you know so there's there's two sides of this I'm guessing that you're you've lost a great friend but you've also lost your I, I'm gonna say livelihood but I don't mean it from a monetary perspective I mean it from more of a you know that's fine of what you do every day no it was all that I mean you say there's there's more than there's there's like so many sides to it that it's um. It's like a sphere. It's not like this side or that side or the third side. It was, I mean, you know, the process of how do you put put things back together? It's like how did you put things together from the moment you want you started playing drums until you got to Madison Square Garden? It's like how did you how many how did you put that together? Right. I mean, life was you know it was it was very, it was very very difficult. Um, there's a lot of things that contributed to my you know the support of you know, my better health, but, uh, it was, you know, it's been a long, long process. I mean, because there were so many different things. I mean, that was my, you know, that was mostly my whole life. So, um, it's, it's been, it's, it's really at the putting together of an entire life again, when you, when all of a sudden you wake up and you go, that whole life is over. Um, and I, I don't know how to, com- I couldn't really compare that to something else for, you know, the sake of an analogy or, you know, I just go, you know what? It was like, life starts all over again can you can you get up and go do it and it was difficult um you know to were you thinking i need to start putting my music back together i need to start putting my my per my life back my personal like personally I oh, everything i mean yeah. i didn't know where to start it's like it's like okay i'll do this first first i'll put my life back together and then i'll put some music back together and then i'll Go to the grocery store, and I mean, you, you just like go. Sure. You kind of go. Everything is so so. Con- I was so confused. It was so convoluted. I go. You know, I sat and did nothing. Um, I did nothing. I like stared out the window, and you know, I tell you one. I tell you one of the the things that ignited my getting back to life was a dear f- friend of mine who's deceased now, named Stephen Bruton, called me up and um, said, "You know what." I want you to come play drums on this record. I said, yeah, I don't want to do that. He said, yeah, I know you don't want to. That's why you're going to get your ass off the couch and you're going to get a drum kit and you're going to meet me down at the studio in two hours. And so I just jumped to and did what this guy said I, I, I had to do. Mm-hmm. And I did that kind of all of a sudden opened one small door and then another door was opened and I kept walking through them and some of them I slammed shut and went through them later. And so it's really kind of hard thing to describe. Right. Like what were, tell me the top 40 things you did and tell me when you did them. I go, I, I, I couldn't do that. Well, of course it was just, it was just, um, yeah, but that was devastating. It was tragic. It was a lot of people, you know, were struck by that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so yeah, that was, it was, it was, it was, it's, it's really been hard to put that into words. It was horrifying. Um, it yeah. was bewildering. It was overwhelming. Um, I mean, one thing that, that, that was given to me, I look at this as a, I noticed that, there was a couple of guys I'd known, younger guys who I'd known my, our, our whole lives, Charlie Sexton and Doyle Bramhall, and 
I had this idea. I said, maybe we ought to, we, maybe we could just get together and play Doyle and, and Charlie Sexton, Doyle Bramhall, Charlie Sexton, and Tommy and me. Let's get together and, and do something. And we kind of didn't really get around to do it. And then something brought us together. That turned into a, a, a record deal with Geffen. And we made a record, a great record. Um, had a band for almost five years. And that was something that was, you know, that was a musical salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, so anybody who's just kind of standing, you know, looking at the newspaper or watching music ads or TV go, wow, look, they're, they're they got it all. He's got it all back together again. Right you now. Right. Um, and that wasn't true either, but it was just another part of a puzzle that kind of helped me help support me, you know, put a life back together. I had mm-hmm. a wonderful wife and I had a, you know, 90 days after Stevie died, we had our first child, a son. He's 27 years old now. And, um, yeah. you know, so there was, it's just everything contributes um, if we let it, if we let it, and as it's given to us, if we say, "Thank you," I'll, 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 I'll see what I can do with that, and I'll, I'll, I'll try. Right, right. And not that the pain isn't still there, but, but have you? Do you feel that you've recovered from it? Uh, you know what I think of that. I think that 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 feels really good in my life. I mean, the pains that I have are really pains of joy, and for many, many years, they were real pains of sorrow. Right. Um, and I went through all kinds of personal things with that. I used them, and you know, to, to create self pity, and you know, even those things of survivor's guilt, like I should have been on that helicopter and not him, and all that stuff that is, you know, kind of part of a grieving process and the human condition. Where you know, you go, wait a minute, what I'm turning is I'm turning in my I'm turning myself into being a victim of life, and I go, and life just happened, mm-hmm. and we get some great things. We say there are great things that happen. And we feel like, ah, oh, this is what life's supposed to be. And then something like that happens. You go, this is not what it's supposed to be. Why did this happen? You know, the, all those questions where there's, you know, to me, there's never any really great answer to a why question. You know, right. why, why? Like, um, you know, thing, life happens. And mm-hmm. um, it's there's tragic things in life. And there's things that are just, we think that are just wonderful. And so it's a mix of all that stuff. And once again, it's like, what am I going to, what can I do with this? What, you know, can, please, I need some help. Right. You know, I think that when we ask for that, it comes to us. Mm-hmm. Do we see what that is? Do we see what hand that is? It's reaching out. You know, like Stephen Bruton called me, said, you got to get off the couch right now and come do this. I could have said, no, leave me alone and hung up the phone. I didn't do that. You know? Right. It's, I'm not, I'm not one for playing the sort of shoulda, coulda, woulda game. Where do you, but where do you think, like, do you ever think about where, you know, where the band would be now? No. Nah, because I think that's, you know, for me, I go, that seems to be largely a useless question. Sure. I was actually talking with Brad Whitford um, from Aerosmith. We were talking about doing this, 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 this Jimi Hendrix, the Experience Hendrix tours. Mm-hmm. And he said, wow, he goes, hey, I was just thinking, you know, if Jimmy was alive, he'd be like 70. He goes, what if he like had a, like a big pot belly and, <laughs> you know, he'd lost all of his hair except like this little ring right around here. And it was all gray. And <laughs> he was just sitting on the front porch, like playing guitar, like just smoking cigarettes. I was like, I can't imagine. I go, wow, I don't know. Is that, is that, I bet it was fascinating because you go, yeah, is that what you'd be doing? You know? Right. <laughs> no, it was really, it was really, really good. Cause I go, yeah, I go, and I was thinking Jimi Hendrix is 27 years old and lighting guitars on fire. And I go, I don't right. really know what, what it would be. And, Mitch Mitchell was a good friend of mine, and we talked about stuff about our experiences and the loss and all that. But I go, you know, um, there really wasn't a discussion. Like, just think what could have happened if, because I don't really know what would have happened. I mean, what if I if I I could imagine all that, but it's not really productive to anything about just getting up and living today. Right. Right. Um, 
because you say, well, there's your answer to that. Well, now what? Well, I guess I think I need to go wash some clothes. <laughs> <laughs> right. At some point, you got to get, you got to just live life, right? You got to. Yeah, you know, it's, um, and I feel that, you know, that, that today that I go, that's something that I go, you know what? I, I do that pretty well. I wake up and I go, I'm, I'm, I'm content. Um, the sun came out today. It was snowing last night, which was beautiful all on its own. And I woke up today and the sun shined. And I go, that's, you know what? That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I'm really fine with that. Right, right. And I got to imagine, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but after everything happened, you probably, after you sort of processed and recovered a bit, probably have a better uh, or a more appreciation of life in some way, right? Oh, I do now. Believe me. Yeah. Um, it took quite a while, but it's all just part of that. Um, that's the same kind of question. Like, when did you know you made it? I go, when did you know you had recovered? When did you start seeing that life was really better? I go, I don't know. It all happens I used to think of life more in terms of like the black and white of it. I realized that it's really just all shades of gray, you know, mm-hmm. which, what area am I in at the moment? Right, right. So let's, uh, let's talk about the moment. So, so what are you doing now? So are you, um, are you still playing with Kenny Wayne Shepherd? I am playing with Kenny. I play yeah. with him a, a large part of the year. We uh, do a thing called the Rides with Stephen Stills and Barry Goldberg and Kevin McCormick. That's called the rides. We do that. Seems like it's about once a year. Um, for uh, 15 years, I've been the drummer for the Experience Hendrix tours. It's always been a host, um, a whole host of a of a review style presentation of mainly guitar players, but guitar players and singers, and um, that keeps me real busy. Yeah, um, I haven't had any aspirations to to start a new band or. And I'll kind of ask myself, well, what's, what's up with that? And I go, I don't know. Maybe there's just another thing of a time and a season for everything. Uh, but I've been real content with that. Um, and I do a lot of – I do other things. And get, we're getting ready to put our little annual jungle show back together, the jungle show with me and a, a keyboard player, Mike Flanagan, Sue Foley, uh, Jimmy Vaughn, and Billy Gibbons. We're getting ready to play two shows right after Christmas. We s- seem to do that once a year, and that's kind of fun. Um, nice. Yeah, so – you know, that and I um, think I need to go walk the dogs. The sun's shining and it's time to get some fresh air and exercise. And it's kind of what my day looks like. I'm going to go meet some people for some coffee here shortly. Um, so that's kind of what life looks like for me right now. I like it. Probably go play some drums, go over to my studio, go down, play some drums a little bit later on and maybe make some dinner with my wife. That sounds like a uh, that sounds like a great day to me. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if that, if, I don't know. It doesn't get much better than that, right? No, no, no. Play some drums, have some coffee, meet up with some friends, have dinner with your wife, call it a day. I'll tell you what, all this stuff is wonderful. I'm going to go interview for a film and be on, help some people make a little documentary. I go, and all that's wonderful. I go, if anything's better about that, I'll call you back and I'll tell you what it was about. Right. (laughs) Good deal. Well, Chris, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you for for opening up to to go through this this whole uh, career that you've had. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to let you go. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Great talking to you, Nick. Likewise. Likewise. Okay, bye. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. There you have it, the one and only Chris Layton. And you can find all the show notes, as always, by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 356. Also, if you haven't already, please do me a favor. Please leave a rating or a review on iTunes. What that does is it helps 
the podcast show up higher in the search results and let people know that this is actually a valuable podcast for them to check out. So I would really appreciate it. You just go to iTunes, search for Drummer's Resource, leave a rating or review. It's super simple. It's super easy. And it is 100% free, of course. So, and uh, I guess that's about it. So thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. Keep drumming. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.